Clarence Larkin, Chapter 24 Babylon the Great That the ancient city of Babylon restored is to play an important part in the startling events of the last days of this dispensation is very clear. This is seen from what is said of it in the 17th and 18th chapters of the book of Revelation. At first sight the two chapters, which contain some things in common, are difficult to reconcile, but when we get the key the reconciliation is easy. The 17th chapter speaks of a woman, and this woman is called Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The 18th chapter speaks of a city, a literal city, called Babylon the Great. That the woman and the city do not symbolize the same thing is clear, for what is said of the woman does not apply to a city, and what is said of the city does not apply to a woman. The woman is destroyed by the ten kings, while the kings of the earth in the next chapter bewail and lament the destruction of the city, which is not destroyed by them, but by a mighty earthquake and fire. Again the woman is destroyed three and a half years before the city, and the fact that the first verse of chapter 18 says dash after these things, that is after the destruction of the woman what happens to the city occurs, shows that the woman and the city are not one and the same. The woman's name is Mystery, Babylon the Great Mystery. Where have we heard that word before, and in what connection? Paul calls the church a mystery because it was not known to the Old Testament patriarchs and prophets. Ephesians 3 verses 1 to 21. That Christ was to have a bride was first revealed to Paul, Ephesians 5 verses 23 to 32, and the mystery that Antichrist is to have a bride was first revealed to John on the Isle of Patmos. The name of Antichrist's bride is Babylon the Great. Someone may ask why give to a bride the name of a city? The answer is that it is not unusual in the scriptures. When the same angel that showed John in this chapter of mystery, Babylon the Great, came to him in chapter 21-9-10 and said dash, come hither, I will shew thee the bride the lamb's wife, he showed John, instead of a woman, that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Here we see that a city is called a bride because its inhabitants, and not the city itself, are the bride. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Bride of Antichrist, then, is not a literal city, but a system, a religious and apostate system. As the Church, the Bride of Christ, is composed of regenerated followers of Christ, so Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Bride of Antichrist, will be composed of the followers of all false religions. The river Euphrates, on which the city of Babylon was built, was one of the four branches into which the river that flowed through the Garden of Eden was divided, and Satan doubtless chose the site of Babylon as his headquarters from which to sally forth to tempt Adam and Eve. It was doubtless here that the antediluvian apostasy had its source that ended in the flood. To this center the forces of evil gravitated after the flood, and Babel was the result. This was the origin of nations, but the nations were not scattered abroad over the earth until Satan had implanted in them the virus of a doctrine that has been the source of every false religion the world has ever known. Babel, or Babylon, was built by Nimrod. Genesis 10 verses 8 to 10. It was the seat of the first great apostasy. Here the Babylonian cult was invented, a system claiming to possess the highest wisdom and to reveal the divinest secrets. Before a member could be initiated he had to confess to the priest. The priest then had him in his power. This is the secret of the power of the priests of the Roman Catholic Church today. Once admitted into this order men were no longer Babylonians, Assyrians, or Egyptians, but members of A. 
Mystical Brotherhood. Over whom was placed a pontiff or high priest, whose word was law. The city of Babylon continued to be the seat of Satan until the fall of the Babylonian and Medo Persian empires, when he shifted his capital to Pergamos in Asia Minor, where it was in John's day. Revelation 2 verses 12 and 13. When Attalus, the pontiff and king of Pergamos, died in BC 133, he bequeathed the headship of the Babylonian priesthood to Rome. When the Etruscans came to Italy from Lydia, the region of Pergamos, they brought with them the Babylonian religion and rites. They set up a pontiff who was head of the priesthood. Later the Romans accepted this pontiff as their civil ruler. Julius Caesar was made pontiff of the Etruscan order in BC 74. In BC 63 he was made supreme pontiff of the Babylonian order, thus becoming heir to the rights and titles of Attalus, pontiff of Pergamos, who had made Rome his heir by will. Thus the first Roman emperor became the head of the Babylonian priesthood, and Rome the successor of Babylon. The emperors of Rome continued to exercise the office of supreme pontiff until AD 376, when the emperor Gratian, for Christian reasons, refused it. The bishop of the church at Rome, Damasus, was elected to the position. He had been bishop twelve years, having been made bishop in AD 366, through the influence of the monks of Emde Carmel, a college of Babylonian religion originally founded by the priests of Jezebel. So in AD 378 the head of the Babylonian order became the ruler of the Roman church. Thus Satan united. Roman Babylon in one religious system. Soon after Damasus was made supreme pontiff the rites of Babylon began to come to the front. The worship of the Virgin Mary was set up in AD 381. All the outstanding festivals of the Roman Catholic Church are of Babylonian origin. Easter is not a Christian name. It means Ishtar, one of the titles of the Babylonian Queen of Heaven, whose worship by the children of Israel was such an abomination in the sight of God. The decree for the observance of Easter and Lent was given in AD 519. The Rosary is of pagan origin. There is no warrant in the Word of God for the use of the sign of the cross. It had its origin in the mystic Tau of the Chaldeans and Egyptians. It came from the letter T, the initial name of Tammuz, and was used in the Babylonian mysteries for the same magic purposes as the Romish Church now employs it. Celibacy, the tonsure, and the order of monks and nuns have no warrant or authority from Scripture. The nuns are nothing more than an imitation of the Vestal Virgins of Pagan Rome. As to the word mystery, the Papal Church has always shrouded herself in mystery. The mystery of baptismal regeneration, the mystery of miracle and magic whereby the simple memorials of the Lord's Supper are changed by the mysterious word transubstantiation, from simple bread and wine into the literal body and blood of Christ, the mystery of the holy water, the mystery of lights on the altar, the mystery plays, and other superstitious rites and ceremonies mumbled in a language that tends to mystery, and tends to confusion which is the meaning of the word Babylon. All this was a mystery in John's day, because the papal church had not as yet developed, though the mystery of iniquity was already at work, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, but it is no longer a mystery for it is now easy to identify the woman mystery, Babylon the Great, which John described as the papal church. In Revelation 17 verse 4 we read that the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornications. Now who does not know that scarlet and purple are the colors of the papacy?
of the different articles of attire specified for the Pope to wear when he is installed into office five are scarlet. A vest covered with pearls and a mitre adorned with gold and precious stones was also to be worn. How completely this answers the description of the woman's dress as she sits upon the scarlet-colored beast. We are also told that the woman was drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. While this refers more particularly to the martyrs of the time of Antichrist, yet who does not know, who has studied the history of the Christian Church for the past 19 centuries, that this is true of the Papal Church during those centuries? One has only to read the history of the persecutions of the early Christians and more particularly the story of the Inquisition in Papal lands, to see that the Papal Church has been drunk with the blood of the saints. The fact that the woman sits on a scarlet-colored beast reveals the fact that at that time the beast, Antichrist, will support the woman in her ecclesiastical pretensions, or in other words, the woman, as a state church, will control and rule the state, and her long dream of worldwide ecclesiastical supremacy will at last be realized, for John tells us that the waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations and tongues. That means that after the true church, the bride of Christ, is taken out of the world the false or papal church, the bride of Antichrist, will remain, and the professing body of Christians, having the form of godliness without the power, left behind, will largely enter the papal church, and, it will become the universal church. But this will continue for only a short time for the ten kings of the federated kingdom, finding their power curtailed by the papal system will. Hate the whore. And strip her of her gorgeous apparel, confiscate her wealth, eat her flesh, and burn her churches and cathedrals with fire. Revelation 17 verse 16 This will occur at the time the worship of the beast is set up, for Antichrist in his jealous hate will not permit any worship that does not center in himself. The beast upon which the woman sits is introduced to show from whom the woman, the papal church, gets her power and support after the true church has been caught out, and also to show that the beast, Antichrist, and the woman, the papal church, are not one and the same, but separate. Therefore the papacy is not Antichrist. For a description of the scarlet-colored beast see the chapter on the Antichrist. From this foreview of the papacy we see that the papal church is not a dying system. That she is to be revived and become a universal church, and in doing so is to commit fornication with the kings of the earth, and that she shall again be drunk with the blood of the martyrs of the tribulation period. The meaning of chapter 17 of the book of Revelation is no longer a mystery, the prophetic portrait of the woman there given corresponds too closely with the history of the papal church to be a mere coincidence. 2. Commercial Babylon Revelation 18 verses 1-24 This chapter begins with the words after these things. What things? The things recorded in the previous chapter, the destruction of mystical Babylon. If mystical Babylon was destroyed in the previous chapter then she cannot appear in this chapter, and the city here described must be a literal city called Babylon, and as there is no city of that name on the earth today, nor has been since the ancient city of Babylon was destroyed, it must refer to some future city of Babylon. That the two chapters refer to different things is further verified by the fact that they are announced by different angels. The events of chapter 17 are announced by one of the vile angels, while those of the 18th are announced by another angel, probably the second angel messenger, who by way of anticipation, announced in chapter 14 8, the fall of Babylon, that is there called Dash, that great city. The ancient city of Babylon from the days of Nimrod, Genesis 10 verse 10, 
grew in size and importance century after century until it reached its greatest glory in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar BC 604-562. As described by Herodotus it was an exact square of 15 miles on a side, or 60 miles around, and was surrounded by a brick wall 87 feet thick, and 350 feet high, though probably that is a mistake, 100 feet being nearer the height. On the wall were 250 towers, and the top of the wall was wide enough to allow six chariots to drive abreast. Outside this wall was a vast ditch surrounding the city, kept filled with water from the river Euphrates, and inside the wall, and not far from it, was another wall, not much inferior, but narrower, extending around the city. 25 magnificent avenues, 150 feet wide, ran across the city from north to south, and the same number crossed them at right angles from east to west, making 676 great squares, each nearly three-fifths of a mile on a side, and the city was divided into two equal parts by the river Euphrates, that flowed diagonally through it, and whose banks, within the city, were walled up, and pierced with brazen gates, with steps leading down to the river. At the ends of the main avenues, on each side of the city, were gates whose leaves were of brass, and that shone as they were opened or closed in the rising or setting sun, like leaves of flame. The Euphrates within the city was spanned by a bridge, at each end of which was a palace, and these palaces were connected by a subterranean passageway, or tube, underneath the bed of the river, in which at different points were located sumptuous banqueting rooms constructed entirely of brass. Near one of these palaces stood the Tower of Bell or Babel, consisting of eight towers, each 75 feet high, rising one upon the other, with an outside winding stairway to its summit, which towers, with the chapel on the top, made a height of 660 feet. This chapel contained the most expensive furniture of any place of worship in the world. One golden image alone, 45 feet high, was valued at $17,500,000, and the whole of the sacred utensils were reckoned to be worth $200 million. Babylon also contained one of the seven wonders of the world, the famous Hanging Gardens. These gardens were 400 feet square, and were raised in terraces one above the other to the height of 350 feet, and were reached by stairways 10 feet wide. The top of each terrace was covered with large stones, on which was laid a bed of rushes, then a thick layer of asphalt, next two courses of brick, cemented together, and finally plates of lead to prevent leakage, the whole was then covered with earth and planted with shrubbery and large trees. The whole had the appearance from a distance of a forest-covered mountain, which would be a remarkable sight in the level plain of the Euphrates. These gardens were built by Nebuchadnezzar simply to please his wife, who came from the mountainous country of Media, and who was thus made contented with her surroundings. The rest of the city was, in its glory and magnificence, in keeping with these palaces, towers, and hanging gardens. The character of its inhabitants and of its official life is seen in the description of Belshazzar's Feast Inn. Dan 5,1-31 Babylon was probably the most magnificent city the world has ever seen and its fall reveals what a city may become when it forsakes God and he sends his judgment upon it. It is so intimately connected with the history of God's people that the scriptures have much to say about it. A large part of the book of Daniel and of the prophecy of Jeremiah relate to it, and it is mentioned in eleven other books of the Old Testament and in four of the New Testament. And that the book of Revelation is a continuation of the book of Daniel is further proven by the fact that the city of Babylon is again spoken of in it, and its prominence in the affairs of the world at the end time disclosed, and its final destruction foretold. That the ancient city of Babylon was destroyed there can be no question, 
but when we affirm that it is to be rebuilt and again destroyed we are met with two objections. That all the Old Testament prophecies in reference to its destruction have been literally fulfilled, and that it cannot be rebuilt. As there is no city of Babylon now in existence the references in the book of Revelation to the destruction of such a city must be symbolical and not refer to a literal city. Let us take up the first objection. For a description of Babylon and her destruction we must turn to Isaiah, chapters 13 and 14, and Jeremiah, chapters 50 and 51. In these two prophecies we find much that has not as yet been fulfilled in regard to the city of Babylon. The city of Babylon was captured in BC 541 by Cyrus, who was mentioned by name in prophecy 125 years before he was born. ISAO 44-28-45-4, BC 7:12. So quietly and quickly was the city taken on the night of Belshazzar's feast by draining the river that flowed through the city, and entering by the riverbed, and the gates that surmounted its banks, that the Babylonian guards had forgotten to lock that night, that some of the inhabitants did not know until the third day that the king had been slain and the city taken. There was no destruction of the city at that time. Some years after it revolted against Darius Histaspus, and after a fruitless siege of nearly twenty months was taken by strategy. This was in BC 516. About BC 478 Xerxes, on his return from Greece plundered and injured, if he did not destroy, the great temple of Bel. In BC 331 Alexander the Great approached the city which was then so powerful and flourishing that he made preparation for bringing all his forces into action in case it should offer resistance, but the citizens threw open the gates and received him with acclamations. After sacrificing to Bel, he gave out that he would rebuild the vast temple of that god, and for weeks he kept 10,000 men employed in clearing away the ruins from the foundations, doubtless intending to revive the glory of Babylon and make it his capital, when his purpose was defeated by his sudden death of marsh fever and intemperance in his 33rd year. During the subsequent wars of his generals Babylon suffered much and finally came under the power of Seleucus, who, prompted by ambition to build a capital for himself, founded Seleucia in its neighborhood about BC 293. This rival city gradually drew off the inhabitants of Babylon, so that Strabo, who died in AD 25, speaks of the latter as being to a great extent deserted. Nevertheless the Jews left from the captivity still resided there in large numbers, and in AD 60 we find the apostle Peter working among them, for it was from Babylon that Peter wrote his epistle, 1 Peter 5 verse 13, addressed to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. About the middle of the 5th century Theodoret speaks of Babylon as being inhabited only by Jews, who had still three Jewish universities, and in the last year of the same century the Babylonian Talmud was issued, and recognized as authoritative by the Jews of the whole world. In AD 917 Ibu Hankel mentions Babylon as an insignificant village, but still in existence. About AD 1100 it seems to have again grown into a town of some importance, for it was then known as the Two Mosques. Shortly afterwards it was enlarged and fortified and received the name of Hilla, or Rest. In AD 1898 Hilla contained about 10,000 inhabitants, and was surrounded by fertile lands and abundant date groves stretched along the banks of the Euphrates. Certainly it has never been true that neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. Isaiah 13 verse 20 Nor can it be said of Babylon dash her cities are a desolation, a dry land, and a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. Jeremiah 51 verse 43
Nor can it be said dash and they shall not take of thee a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but thou shalt be desolate forever, saith the Lord, Jeremiah 51 verse 26. For many towns and cities have been built from the ruins of Babylon, among them. For capital cities, Seleucia, built by the Greeks, Tesiphon, by the Parthians, Almaden, by the Persians, and Kufa, by the Caliphs. Hilla was entirely constructed from the debris, and even in the houses of Baghdad, Babylonian stamped bricks may be frequently noticed. But Isaiah is still more specific for he locates the time when his prophecy will be fulfilled. He calls it the day of the Lord. Isaiah 13 verse 9. That is the millennium. And he locates it at the beginning of the millennium, or during the events that usher in the millennium, for he says. The stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light, the sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Isaiah 13 verse 10, Luke 21 verses 25 to 27. Surely nothing like this happened when Babylon was taken by Cyrus. In the description of the destruction of the city of Babylon given in Rev 18, we read that her judgment will come in one hour, verses 10, and that in one hour she shall be made desolate, verses 19, and as an illustration of the suddenness and completeness of her destruction, a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying dash thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Revelation 18 verse 21 We are also told in the same chapter that she is to be destroyed by fire, Rev 18 colon 8, 9, 18, and this is in exact harmony with the words of Isaiah 13 verse 19. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And the prophet Jeremiah makes the same statement. Jeremiah 50 verse 40 the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was not protracted through many centuries, their glory disappeared in a few hours, Genesis 19 verses 24-28, and as ancient Babylon was not thus destroyed, the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah cannot be fulfilled unless there is to be a future Babylon that shall be thus destroyed. In Revelation 16 verses 17-19, we are told that Babylon shall be destroyed by an earthquake, attended with most vivid and incessant lightning and awful thunder. It would appear then, that as Sodom and Gomorrah were first set on fire and then swallowed up by an earthquake, that the rebuilt city of Babylon will be set on fire, and as the site of ancient Babylon is underlaid with bitumen, asphalt, that an earthquake will break up the crust of the earth, and precipitate the burning city into a lake of fire, and the city like a millstone, Revelation 18 verse 21, sink below the surface of the earth as into the sea, and be swallowed up so that it will be impossible. To ever take of her stones for building purposes, and the land shall become a wilderness where no man shall ever dwell. As to the probability of the ancient city of Babylon being rebuilt we have only to consider the events that in recent years have been happening in that part of the world looking to just such a thing. In the Department of War of France, at Paris, there is to be seen the records of valuable surveys and maps made by order of Napoleon I, in Babylonia, and among them is a plan for a new city of Babylon, thus showing that the vast schemes of Napoleon comprehended the rebuilding of the ancient city of Babylon, and the making it his capital, as his ambition was to conquer the whole of Europe and Asia, and he recognized to that end the strategical position of ancient Babylon as a governmental and commercial center. It is a fact that the whole country of Mesopotamia, Assyria, and Babylonia only needs a system of irrigation to make it again the most fertile country in the world, 
and steps have already been taken in that direction. In 1850 the British government sent out a military officer with his command to survey and explore the river Euphrates at a cost of $150,000, and when the European war broke out, the great English engineer who built the Asuam Dam in Egypt, was engaged in making surveys in the Euphratian Valley for the purpose of constructing a series of irrigation canals that would restore the country and make it again the great grain-producing country it once was. As a result towns and cities would spring up and railroads would be built. What is needed in that part of the world is a trans-European Asiatic Indian airline that will connect Europe with India and China. Such a line has been the dream of Emperor William of Germany. It was that desire that made him and Abdul Hamid, of Turkey, the closest of political friends, and he secured from Abdul Hamid a concession to build a railway from the Asiatic side of the Bosphorus, by way of Aleppo, to the Tigris River, and from there to Baghdad, and from Baghdad via Babylon, via Babylon, mark that, to Kuwait on the Persian Gulf, and most of the road has been built to Baghdad. With these facts in mind it can readily be seen that it is the purpose of European capitalists to revive the country of Babylonia and rebuild its cities, and when once the time comes the city of Babylon will be rebuilt almost in a night and on a scale of magnificence such as the world has never seen. But I hear a protest. How you say can we be expecting Jesus to come at any moment if the city of Babylon must be rebuilt before he can come? There is not a word in scripture that says that Jesus cannot come and take away his church until Babylon is rebuilt. The church may be taken out of the world 25 or even 50 years before that. Babylon the Great will be an immense city, the greatest in every respect the world has ever seen. It will be a typical city, the London, the Paris, the Berlin, the Petrograd, the New York, the Chicago of its day. It will be the greatest commercial city of the world. Its merchandise will be of gold and silver, and precious stones and pearls, of purple, and silk, and scarlet and costly woods. Its fashionable society will be clothed in the most costly raiment and decked with the most costly jewels. Their homes will be filled with the most costly furniture of precious woods, brass, iron and marble, with the richest of draperies, mats and rugs. They will use the most costly of perfumes, cinnamon, fragrant odors, ointments and frankincense. Their banquets will be supplied with the sweetest of wines, the richest of pastry, and the most delicious of meats. They will have horses and chariots and the swiftest of fast-moving vehicles on earth and in the air. They will have their slaves, and they will traffic in the souls of men. That is, women will sell their bodies and men their souls to gratify their lusts. The markets will be crowded with cattle, sheep, and horses. The wharves will be piled with goods from all climes. The manufactories will turn out the richest of fabrics, and all that genius can invent for the comfort and convenience of men will be found on the market. It will be a city given over to pleasure and business. Businessmen and promoters will give their days and nights to scheming how to make money fast, and the pleasure-loving will be constantly planning new pleasures. There will be riotous joy and ceaseless feasting. As it was in the days of Noah and of Lot, they will be marrying and giving in marriage, buying and selling, building and planting. The blood will run hot in their veins. Money will be their god, pleasure their high priest, and unbridled passion the ritual of their worship. It will be a city of music. Amid the noise and bustle of its commercial life will be heard the music of its pleasure resorts and theaters. There will be the sound of harpers and musicians, of pipers and trumpeters, verses 22.
the world's best singers and players will be there. Its theaters and places of music will be going day and night. In fact there will be no night, for the electric illumination of the city by night will make the night as bright and shadowless as the day, and its stores and places of business will never close, night of day, or Sunday, for the mad whirl of pleasure and the absorbing desire for riches will keep the wheels of business constantly moving. And all this will be easy because the god of this world Satan will possess the minds and bodies of men, for we read in verse 2, that Babylon at that time will be the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. The city will be the seat of the most imposing occultism and mediums, and those desiring to communicate with the other world, will then go to Babylon, as men and women now go to Paris for fashions and sensuous pleasures. In that day demons, disembodied souls, and unclean spirits will find at Babylon the opportunity of their lives to materialize themselves in human bodies, and from the atmospheric heavens above, and from the abyss below they will come in countless legions until Babylon shall be full of demon-possessed men and women, and at the height of its glory, and just before its fall, Babylon will be ruled by Satan himself, incarnate in the beast Antichrist. But before its destruction God will mercifully deliver his own people, for a voice from heaven will cry. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues, verses 4. As Sodom and Gomorrah could not be destroyed until righteous Lot had escaped, so Babylon cannot be destroyed until all the righteous people in it have fled. The destruction of the city will be sudden and without warning. A fearful storm will sweep over the city. The lightning and thunder will be incessant. The city will be set on fire and a great earthquake will shake it from center to circumference. The tall office buildings, the hanging gardens and the great towers will totter and fall, the crust of the earth will crack and open, and the whole city with its inhabitants will sink like a millstone. Verses 21, into a lake of burning bitumen, and the smoke will ascend as of a burning fiery furnace, and the horror of the scene will be intensified by vast clouds of steam, generated by the waters of the Euphrates pouring into that lake of fiery asphalt and when night comes on those clouds of steam will reflect the light of the burning city so it can be seen for miles in all directions in that level country. And the kings of the earth, and the merchants, and the shipmasters, and sailors, and all who have profited by her merchandise, will stand afar off and cry, and wail because of her destruction, but the heavens will rejoice for God will have rewarded her. Double according to her works, and Babylon will be no more.